Welcome to Brit David Podcast. As Pastor Tim brings us a message today from Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, entitled, Straighten Up. Tucked inside the book of Amos is a vision that God gives him of a carpenter's plumb line, a simple but accurate tool. The plumb line is suspended so that the carpenter can ensure that his building stands straight. God's plumb line was evidence to Amos that the nation of Israel was off center. Were God to apply that same tool to America, he would find eerily the same results. Here's Pastor Tim. Anyway, together we are reading through the entire Bible this year, and we're doing it alphabetically by book. Um, So I'm going to be preaching on these Sunday nights um, alphabetically through each one of those books of the Bible. So tonight, we turn our attention to the book of Amos. Let me give you just a few minutes so you may need to find that. If you have trouble with it, it's right before Obadiah, all right? So as you look at Amos, you might find that you have a little uh, common ground with him. He's not a spiritual superman. He's not um, a prominent preacher. He's not a uh, miracle maker. He's not a professional prophet. He's just a regular guy who lives in a rural town, who has a real job, and who has a burden that's come to him from the Lord after trying to live out in a frustrating manner a godly life in a society that is degenerating right in front of him. And it's almost one of those Popeye kind of books where he's had all that he can stand and he can't stand anymore and he has to speak up. He has to speak what it is that God has shown to him. He's a rancher, he's a farmer, but he is heavily burdened by the Lord and God uses him significantly and he can do that for you as well. His book is just about as orderly as his rows of sycamore trees would have been. If you go through that particular book, uh, you're going to notice that he pronounces judgments on eight nations, including his own. He, uh, then he proceeds to preach three sermons to them. Then he follows that up by presenting five visions that God shows him, and then promises five blessings of restoration of the nation at the close of the book. We're going to be looking at, those, at the vision section, and specifically the middle of those five. So if you've got your Bible, you want to turn to chapter number seven in Amos. That's where we're going to be tonight, beginning in verse number seven. Growing up, if I had a dollar for every time my mama told me to straighten up, well, let's just say if I tithed on all those dollars, things would look a lot different <laughs> around here. You know, I got to hear that often, and that seems to be the message, at least of this particular portion of Amos. Straighten up. The problem is, is that they're not listening any better than I used to listen. Straighten up. That's the message that God has for his people. He, he intends for his selected people to become his corrected people as he begins to straighten up some things in their life. And so there may not be a better illustration of that message to straighten up than this vision of the plumb line. That's where we're looking today. If you look in verse number 7, 
you're going to notice that he begins this vision the very same way that he begins the first four of these five visions by saying, then he showed me, or thus he showed me. It follows then the vision that God has given to him. Let's read it together. Beginning in verse number seven, thus he showed me. Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. As we look at this particular vision, the first thing that I want you to see tonight is that the focus is God's people. The focus is God's people. Now, he mentions the plumb line, and we typically refer to it as the vision of the plumb line, but the plumb line is not the focus. The plumb line is a tool. It's a, it's a simple and very accurate tool. Carpenters and, and builders alike will use plums to make sure that their work is straight. A plum is simply a weight attached to a string that is hung or suspended so that gravity simply pulls it straight down, and then he can measure, that builder can measure his building or his project, whatever it is, against that solidly straight line. Now, we call it the vision of the plumb line, but the plumb line is simply what God uses to show Amos the message that he has. The focus of the message, the focus of the vision, is God's people himself. In to begin three successive chapters, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, or sorry, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, God begins each one of those chapters the very same way, by directing and clarifying who he's speaking to. Listen to this. Verse number 3, or chapter number 3 begins this way. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. In chapter 4, he begins by saying, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. In chapter 5, he begins by saying, hear this word, O house of Israel. This, just like those messages in chapter 3, 4, and 5, are messages that are directed specifically to God's overindulgent, wayward people. People just like he has today. As you go through the book of Amos, you're going to discover that there are certain phrases that he repeats often throughout his book. One of those I want to draw your attention to, it clearly shows us what God's desire for his people is, why he would send this message in the first place. If you look back in chapter number 4 and verse number 6, you're going to find this line. God says, See, he, he says, he says uh, again and again, he tells him what he needs to say, and then he says, yet you have not returned to me. Look at verse number 8. Yet you have not returned to me. In verse number 9, yet you have not returned to me. Verse number 10, yet you have not returned to me. Verse number 11, yet you have not returned to me. I wonder what the Lord wants. <laughs> he wants his people to return to him. I wonder what the Lord wants today. I have a sneaking suspicion that it's the same thing. That He wants His people to return to Him. Or as we may say, to straighten up. And so God uses this plumb line 
to show them that there is a problem in their walk with the Lord. I want you to notice what, what the Bible says, what God says in the middle of verse number 8. Let's go back to our passage there, to the vision. He says, Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line, where? In the midst of my people, Israel. It's the people, isn't it? It's the people that are the focus of this particular message. If it's the people then, it's the people today. He has you in mind as we begin to read through this passage this evening. So number one, I want you to see that the focus is God's people. But number two, I want you to see that our features are not plumb. Our features are not plumb. After mentioning that he has set this plumb line among his people, then he makes this statement. He says at the end of verse number 8, I will not pass by them anymore. No more is he going to let their sins go unaddressed. No more is he going to allow them to just walk casually in this world disregarding him as his own particular people. And so in verse number 9, he takes this plumb line and holds it up to several different areas within the life of Israel and we could certainly see within our life that we're not living uprightly to show us that we are off in so many ways. In so many of these facets, they have departed from the Lord. And I want you to notice that God's not going to give His people a free pass. He, he just simply doesn't. Of those repeated phrases, I said that there's several of those phrases that are repeated over and over and over again. Back in chapter number 1, the phrase is, I will send a fire. <clears throat> he, says in, uh, uh, he says to the people of Damascus there in chapter number 1, in, uh, in verse number 8, he says, I will send a fire on those people of Damascus. Then he says, he says I will send a fire to the people of Gaza. I will send a fire on the people of Tyre. I will send a fire on the Edomites. He says, I will send a fire on the Ammonites. And when you move over into chapter number 2, it's the same thing. Now he's got the Moabites in mind. He says, I will send a fire. So you see all of these pagan nations all around Israel. And God says, I'm going to send a fire. I'm going to send judgment to this place. Now, those early readers of Amos may have been saying, boy, finally... Finally, somebody is addressing the problems of these heathen nations all around us. As chapter number 2 continues, God points His finger at Judah. Despite the fact that they are enjoying life with one of their very best kings, Uzziah, God says to Judah, I will send a fire. And then to Israel, He goes at great length throughout the rest of that chapter and really for those sermons that will follow, to describe for them how he is going to send a fire among his nation, how he's going to judge his own people. Know this, the very same facets of life that God holds the plumb line up to for Judah and for Israel, the same areas of life that he holds it up for us. And just as they are out of plumb, we're out of plumb as well. Let me show you these. Look at that uh, opening phrase there in verse number 9. He says, The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. What's he talking about? He's talking about their cultured life. 
their society as a whole. God holds the plumb line up to our cultured life, and we see that we are out of sorts as well. Typically, not all the time, but typically when the Bible refers to high places, it's talking about places of idol worship. Here in this particular verse, he's talking about the the high places of Isaac. He's talking about the high place that was in Beersheba, where Isaac had developed an altar, where Isaac had dug his well, and there real legitimate worship began to take place. But over the years, the people got away from the Lord and they perverted that place, and then they converted that place into a place of idol worship. Idol worship became the hallmark, not just of the nations that were around them, but idol worship became the hallmark for the people of God, for Israel, for Judah as well. God says enough is enough. I want you to know that America is just as much a land of idolatry today. It's become a prominent place in our culture. We like to say that we're a Christian nation, but we are a secular culture. And this unholy theme of secularism has touched every area of American life. It's affected the arts, the sciences, it's affected our education, it's affected our entertainment. Every part of our culture is impacted by our getting away from the Lord. To try to list all of those particular ways would be impossible. So I want to mention three to you today. Three ways that our culture has gotten away from the Lord. Three areas that God holds the plumb line up to us in American life. Number one is socioeconomic prosperity. Socioeconomic prosperity. We tend to think that God must surely be pleased with America because of all of the stuff that we have, because of the prosperity that we experience. Now, even despite the fact that we are currently tiptoeing this line of a recession, we're still one of the most prosperous nations on the face of the earth. And for some reason, we have have begun to think that because of all the stuff, that God must surely have His eyes on us. Did you know that Sodom, in the day that it was destroyed, was at the height of its socioeconomic prosperity. Listen to this passage. This comes out of the book of Ezekiel. God says to Israel, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. It was a nation that was proud. You know, we, we sing it too. I'm proud to be an American, right? And we have a nationalistic view, much the same way that the people of Sodom had, the same way that the people of Israel had. God said for them, it was not just a time of pride. He says it was a time of fullness of food. They had more than they could consume. Did you know that the USDA last year paid farmers $200 billion not to farm their land. Not to farm. We're going to pay farmers not to farm and not to try to disperse food because we have enough. 
It's the fullness of food. He also says the abundance of idleness. I think we've all remarked about how we've never seen a day where people are less likely to work. When there's more work to be had. I want to tell you something. I don't know where these families get money to spend on their own lifestyle when they simply will not work. Do not be lulled to sleep by thinking that your prosperity, ours as a nation, ours as a church, yours as a family, yours as an individual, makes you an exemption from what God intends to do. They were to look after the poor and they simply would not. Socioeconomic prosperity. Number two is scientific progress. I believe God holds up the plumb line to our scientific progress and He can hold it back all the way back to the days of Nimrod. You remember him out of the book of Genesis? We have continually attempted to create some utopian paradise. And we think that that's going to come about because of technological advances. Technology's advances are staggering. I gave you these numbers not too long ago, but let me give them to you again. In 1900, the volume of all of the world's knowledge, now again, how how that's calculated, I don't know. But in 1900, that volume was doubling every hundred years. By 1945, it was every 25 years. By 1982, that volume of knowledge was doubling every year. In 2020, the rate was every 12 hours. It's staggering to think how far we've come scientifically in so many areas. I mean, just think about the phone that you have in your hand. That phone has more capability than those roomfuls of supercomputers, you know, in the 70s and 80s. In fact, the phone that you have in your hand right now, even if you've got one of those old flip phones, (laughs) the phone that you have in your hand has more volume of knowledge in it and more capacity than the Mars rover that NASA's using right now. In fact... I mean, your phone can do so much that probably the phone is the least used app on your phone, you know? We continue to grow in that particular way, and yet, are we really that much better off? Is life somehow easier, less stressful? Has violence been subdued because of scientific advances? Not one bit. Thirdly, is sexual perversion. Let me stay on this topic of your phone for just a minute. Gone are the days when a man would have to don a, a baseball cap and sunglasses and sneak off to his uh, uh, a convenience store so that he could buy a pornographic magazine. Now it's right there in the palm of your hand and what you think is the privacy of your own Private space, I say so-called privacy because everything, everything makes its way out into the light, doesn't it? We have sexualized in America everything. Every part of our society has become perverted. 
The more perverted it becomes, it seems as if the better. Somehow we think that we are growing in who we are, that we are evolving somehow because of those things. The LGBT movement is just as strong as it's ever been. By the way, that non-discrimination ordinance, it's coming back to Columbus. Get ready. The fight that we had last year, we're going to have to have it one more time. You know, what, what used to be uh, demonized became rationalized. We're living in a day now where it's normalized. Our children, grandchildren, will look at some of these things of the LGBT community and just think that that's normal. That's just how life is. When you and I would have never thought of such a thing. Who would have ever thought that we would have trouble with gender identity? You know, not being able to tell the difference. I want you to know something. God hasn't changed. Culture may change, so many other parts may change, but God hasn't changed. And I want you to know that on that subject, the Bible is just as clear as it is on any subject. Listen to this. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Is that hard to understand? Paul writes, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Let me stop there for just a moment. Tim, do you think that AIDS... Some of these other diseases, that, that that's judgment from God? I think it's a consequence. I think it's merely the consequence of what, we've, of, of, of what we do. And he says this. He says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here's where it comes from. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, and his list goes on and on. God has held the plumb line up to our cultured life, and we are out of plumb. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.